putting a sermon together for Sunday as a team effort. I love Rebecca and John. Uh, the work that they do to support your speakers is tireless and amazing. I learned a lot this week after I sent John a music video for this message. You'll see it in a minute. Uh, but I sent it to him because I wanted his opinion. The Bee Gees, a group with roots in my history, with a melody that tugs at my soul, uh, performers right out of the disco era, lyrics dripping with romance, and you'll see a theme in this video. Uh, it's a plea from a guy that's just about ready to get dumped by his best girl. So when John called back, I could tell by the tone of his voice that there was an issue. And since I have a high regard for the team that supports us, I, I braced myself to listen and learn from him. And, and then John gave his opinion. His insight was wrapped in a blanket of blue velvet tact. This time was no exception. Dave, he said, I think the video is a little bit cheesy. Now, mind you, this advice came this week after we began the service with the Cupid's Shuffle. <laughs> yeah, you know, Brad, I measure my life by the response of my wife. <laughs> you should have seen your wife while you were doing that. <laughs> Both hands over there. It's terrific. The word cheesy flew across the airwaves of AT&T like a guided missile aimed right at the softest part of my heart. Cheesy? Is it cheddar, Swiss, or pepper jack? <laughs> and, of course, what happened here is this response gave me a little bit of time to look the word cheesy up on my computer. And my computer didn't help me because it told me that cheesy means of or pertaining to cheese. <laughs> so cheesy is now a word of my life, and I'm no longer bitter about his advice this morning, and, but I will no longer visit Wisconsin or put cheese on my hamburger. <laughs> but that being said, after I read scripture this morning, you're going to look at an old music visit, video. The fashion, the hairstyle, and the music will take you back to the 80s and disco days, and even though it really does have a provolone fragrance to it, it will give you an idea of what this morning's message is about. And now I will say no more about our chief technical officer, because with a flip of a switch, he can send this message and song right into oblivion. So we'll get right to the text. Then Jesus, and notice in this text now, there is a proposition made out of words. And there is a life-changing response that is made out of words. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to be bread. 
Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's pray. Bless the words that are about to be said. They're offered in good faith. They are said knowing that you are our counselor and our editor. You are the one who will be the master healer of the words of our lives. split the church over cheese. <laughs> You've probably seen it, uh, if not on purpose, perhaps by accident, uh, on weekday TV. The opening credits feature an hourglass and a backdrop of a partly cloudy sky and sand slowly trickling to the bottom. Uh, then comes McDonald Carey's stained glass voice, voiceover, and he says, like, sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. And another daytime drama ready to do whatever daytime dramas do is ready to go. So the Hortons and the Bradys, soap at its best since 1965, uh, Chad and Gabby model for the Countess, and Daniel leaves Salem in a tearful farewell and Victor almost admits knowing about his mother, and Brady learns that Madison has been lying, and Quinn jumps ship. Ah. The, the show Friends picked up uh, the Days of Our Lives series and called their parody The Days of the Week. And if you follow their soap for a while, Joey Tribbiani is cast as Dr. Drake Ramaray, and Dr. Drake gets killed after falling down an elevator shaft 
and later he's brought back to life with a brain transplant, and then he gets nominated in the daytime Emmys for uh, the best death scene. So my plea right now is a, 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 a actually a plea for a good voiceover for the title of this morning's message. Uh, perhaps like toys buried in Cracker Jacks, so are the words of our lives, or like a stream winding out of a wilderness, so are the words of our lives, like salve on blistering skin, so are the words of our lives, like bait in a trap, like sparks in the forest, like bullets in a rifle, so are the words of our life. So Jesus comes along and he says to us, life is fueled by food. No argument about that, is there? When I'm hungry, my stomach lets me know right away I'm hungry and I get restless and uh, active and finally I satisfy. It reminds me of a story. Uh, Perhaps you've heard Garrison Keillor's stories about Oli and Lena. They are older Norwegians in Garrison Keillor's Prairie Home Companion uh, program. Oli is dying. And as he's taking his last breath, he smells homemade chocolate chip cookies coming from Lena's kitchen downstairs. So motivated by hunger, he stumbles down the stairs crawls through the hall and finally makes it to the table and the cookies. And he reaches out and suddenly he feels a slap on his wrist. And Lena says, don't you dare. Therefore, your funeral. (laughs) Some applause in the audience about that. We live and die by food, so we know how to take care of it. We'll consume our food knowing that the Food and Drug Administration, the USDA, and the County Health Department are watching out for us. And we have our sense of sight and smell to warn us about consuming anything that might be harmful. But words are important too. If there are any doubt about the importance of words in our life, We now have cable television, the personal computer, and the internet, which are all household items. And if you think for a second about what these tools can do, we will now grasp the gravity of the importance of words in our life. For the personal computer and the internet, we've become an expert in the process of gathering words. Google finds everything. Facebook knows everybody. Twitter blabs everything. eBay sells everything. And Yelp judges everything. And I'm not kidding. Through the personal computer and the internet, we become expert in the process of organizing words. What an amazing discovery. Uh, The database where now we can put words in buckets like we would put spoons and forks and knives in our silverware drawer. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a West Bowles database? We could create a list of all the West Bowles people that eat dinner at Ted's Montana Grill. We could make a list of all the Broncos season ticket holders, a list of all 
West Bowles people who drive Harleys. Uh, all the bowlers, all the golfers, all the basketball players, all those who swing a hammer and all those who shouldn't, all those who sew, all those who have children, all of those who say they're lonely. It is amazing what an observant, nosy manager of a database can do. Trust me, databases today know everything about us. We are databased to death. Through the computer and the internet, we become experts in the process of storing words. I have an iPhone in my pocket right now that contains 23,000 books on an instrument the size of a Hershey bar. Through the computer and the internet, we've become experts in the process of spinning words. Spinners know how to twist a truth, to bounce a word, to bury a meaning. Spinners know how to cut and paste, to delete and add. They know how to make the trivial seem important, and they know how to make the important seem trivial. And the season of political ads are upon us, and if you're not excited about it, beware that those spinners will leave us dizzy and disoriented before the end of next month. Through the computer and the internet, we've become experts in the process of targeting words. I'm a member of a hundred different target markets. I am male, I'm over 60, I'm white, I'm straight, I'm a grandfather, I have an uninspiring golf handicap. So I get daily emails from miniature golf courses. I get offers from drug companies that are worried about my testosterone level. I get coupons from the scooter store. <laughs> worst of all, I get calendars from local cremation services. <laughs> I even got an email the other day from a website entitled yourdailyguilttrip.com and it warned me that golf is nothing more than strenuous idleness. Ah, strenuous idleness. Through the personal computer and the internet, we become experts in the process of delivering words. Messages are targeted at me in high-definition color over great background music with models that even St. Francis of Assisi couldn't resist. And then they're sent by engineers who know when I get up, how I brush my teeth, the style and color of my underwear, my political preferences, my favorite food, my closest friends, and my vacation dates. And then worst of all, these engineers can embed words in my computer. They know how to get messages so deep into the, the heart of my life that those messages pop up anytime, any place. They will tell me what to do, when to do it, make promises they will never keep, and find ways to take a tour through all of my passwords and credit card information and steal something before I ever buy it. In August and the months thereafter, businesses, organizations, political parties, screenwriters, crooks, and even preachers will spend a billion dollars a month to bury us in an avalanche of words. They will use tools designed to gather, store, organize, target, deliver, and embed words right in the heart of where we live. 
And these words are written to take our hearts away. One word can be a twist. If you doubt it, kind of put your mind to work on the theater of the mind for a second and listen to how important a word is. Uh, this is Linda Wertheimer, NPR News in Washington, with a special report from the Middle East. With me on the line from the mountain province of Donandistan, from the provincial capital of Really Really Bad, is correspondent John Notright with breaking news report that a plane load of terrorists is on its way to the U.S. at this very moment. John, can you hear me? Yes, Do you I hear, hear me you now. now? I Sorry, I stepped on you there. Linda. It's Sorry, Linda. I'm go ahead, John. Time. Go ahead. We have you, John. Go ahead. Having a little trouble with the satellite delay there. Yes, I understand. There's a delay with the satellite. Go ahead, please. You want me to go ahead now? Yes, go ahead, John. <laughs> this we're is ready John for you Knight now, John. The provincial capital of... I'm sorry, Linda, did you say something? I said we're ready for your report, John. You want me to do that now, Linda? Yes, go ahead, please. Standing by and really, really about here. Whenever you're ready, Linda. Can you hear me, John? I can hear you, Linda. Good, we'd like your report now, John. Just waiting for your cue, Linda. Let's go yes, to John Notright in really, really bad. Now I'm for this, uh, John. Yes, Linda. John, please, shut your mouth and listen. <laughs> and I'll ask you a question, and when I do, you answer it, okay? Okay. Are you shutting so your you mouth now, John? Right. John, you're there in Don't Understand from the provincial capital of really, really bad, correct? And you have reports of a plane load of terrorists heading for America. We'd like to know more. Over to you, John. I don't know about terrorists, but there's a plane load of tourists heading for the U.S. <laughs> Is that what you meant, Linda? You told us terrorists. Tourists. They're from Iowa. Uh, church people, mostly. Uh, from what I understand, Methodists, uh, I think. Uh, they're here on a study tour learning about Islam. You're an idiot. Get on the plane with the tourists, John, and go back to Iowa. John? I'm sorry, you're aching up a little. John, get out of my life. Just disappear, okay? This is Linda Wertheimer Am from NPR now? News in Washington with a special report. Will you spend some time with me observing three clear and permanent requirements for dealing with food? And they happen to be the same permanent and clear requirements that we need to observe when we're dealing with words. The first healthy requirement for dealing with food and words is healthy ingestion. Ingestion is the operative word here. We have food groups, but we have word groups, too. Words can nourish or poison. They can build or destroy. They can lead or mislead. They can liberate or control. They can heal or abuse. They can care or ignore. They can clarify or confuse. The words of our lives will come from 
one side or the other of this list. Today we are offered a grand buffet of words. And while we revel in all the power and all the variety it provides, it brings on a serious threat and a huge set of problems. Perhaps you read the article uh, yesterday. Uh, It reads like this. The Gideon Bible is commonly found in the drawers of hotel nightstands the world over. But one hotel would rather give guests a stimulating read that's more sensual than spiritual. Visitors to the Diné Hotel in northwest England won't find the Bible in their rooms anymore. That's because hotel manager Wayne Bartholomew replaced the Bible with the copies of the best-selling erotic novel, Fifty Shades of Grey. The decision, Bartholomew said, was influenced by the flood of chatter about the book from his Facebook friends. I thought it would be a special treat for our guests to find it in their bedside cabinet, and that includes men. Clay Johnson wrote a book entitled The Information Diet, A Case for Conscious Consumption. And he writes under the headline, We're Feasting on Junk Information. There's a new kind of ignorance afoot in the world, one that results from overconsumption of information rather than lack of access to it. It's fashionable to blame cable television and the internet for this new ignorance. And it's true that if you spend much time watching cable news and surfing the internet, you'll come away thinking that many information providers are more interested in fanning fear and and feeding people's preconceived notions than they are at communicating truth. But we should really blame ourselves for the content we're seeing. Why? Because what shows up on the internet and cable television is shaped by what we choose to click and watch, and we're making terrible choices. Our news is largely provided by conglomerates focused on the bottom line, and they have figured out that shrill opinions and celebrity hype draw more eyes than facts and substance. To the handful of billion-dollar corporations providing much of our news, journalistic integrity equals market inefficiency. Fear, opinion, and gossip are less expensive to manufacture and draw bigger audiences than the truth. And he goes on to say it's like our food diets. They too have changed in the last half century and for much the same reason. We are hardwired to crave salt, sugar, and fat, all of which were easier to come by in earlier areas. But in this age of plenty, at least in developed nations, industrialized food suppliers have filled supermarket aisles with delicious but unhealthful concoctions aimed at satisfying those who look for We've got to be careful what we ingest in a culture like this. Health requirement number two for food and words. Food and words require healthy digestion. We know all about food digestion, but you know there's a a capability inside of us that is designed to process and digest words. It's called the spirit. 
And there's an absolutely lovely word picture in Genesis 2 that talks about the gift of the Spirit to mankind. In Genesis 2 we read, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. A living being now is one that's capable of being aware capable of responding, capable of thinking, capable of judging, capable of acting. Those five things make us personal. Those five things make it possible for us to comprehend and experience the world around us. And those five capabilities enable us to comprehend and experience the fact that God is great and God is good. It is designed to respond to the people and the places and situations and words that are around us. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to canoe through Echo Park. It's where the Yampa River and the Green River come together in eastern Utah. What a trip. And on that trip, I used to be able to yodel. I could yodel right now, but you'd be very disappointed. Somewhere in your 50s, you lose the ability to yodel. It's quite a loss in my life. (laughs) So here I am at Echo Park, and when I yodel, I have to stand up and take a deep breath and throw my head back and let the yodel soar into the air as naturally as I can. And in Echo Park, you can hear the yodel come back three, four, five, six times. So I learned the beauty of an echo in Echo Park. I I also learned that it's really dumb to take a deep breath and throw your head back and yodel while standing up in a canoe. But God planted a spirit inside of us and he designed that spirit so it would echo his goodness and greatness. God planted that spirit inside us so we could sing the songs that we sang this morning that say, all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's not an exaggeration. You know who Corporal Klinger is? Corporal Klinger is in that old cheesy series called MASH. And Corporal Klinger is the Section 8 guy that's trying to get out of the army for a number of different reasons. But one of the episodes I remember the most is when Corporal Klinger tries to get out of the army by eating a Jeep. Amazing. There's this picture of him taking a pile of lug nuts and dumping them in an army helmet and then pouring motor oil over them and then popping them in his mouth one by one. And I sat there and looked at it and I thought, what an amazing picture of junk and stuff in the spirit. And I find as I look around, all of us, have stuff 
words lodged in our spirit. And, and that stuff wraps themselves around our experiences and conversations. And they end up as fears and insecurities and frustrations and irritations that we can't figure out. And we may, even after time, wrap our spirits around them. And the words are there because we can't digest them. We never responded to them. Perhaps we never responded because we're afraid of the response or we don't know how to respond or may even feel guilty about the response. It's true in my life. I stand here today telling you that there are words that were said to me when I was in ninth grade that I cannot figure out and process today. If I talk to my wife when her older brother died at age two, it triggered words in her life that still now, decades after, she hasn't processed and responds to. So I talked to a, a war veteran that was shot at an enemy captain at point blank range. I talked to Pastor George who crashed in a pilot, uh, crashed in a helicopter another friend whose parent committed suicide, a bride who's abused in an early relationship, a mom who discovers a streak of hatred for her child, a young man rejected day after day by his wife, the child of an alcoholic, a young girl who is cutting herself to express the pain she feels, even adult Christians who've had teachings crammed down their throats all their lives with words down inside they can't respond to. A lump of junk in the spirit. This leads us to the third word. Healthy food and healthy words require healthy digestion. <laughs> have to go to the rock group Alabama to find a nice civilized sensitive way to talk about digestion. <laughs> So Alabama sings, hello, Detroit auto worker, let me thank you for your time. You work a 40-hour week for a living just to send it down the line. Well, ingestion is sending down the line, and the Apostle James now talks uh, about ingesting so well. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow out of the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Can a salt spring produce fresh water? God created us to ingest. Now, I remember so well on the third day of a, a, a 300-mile mountain bike ride, in the middle of the morning, the pain in my thighs had morphed to paralyzing cramps. The sting of sweat on a saddle store was unbearable. We had 220 miles of Colorado mountain trails yet to conquer. And I stopped and I got off my bike and I laid down on the trail and I actually assumed a fetal position. <laughs> and if it wasn't for three other stupid young males that were standing around me, I would have proceeded to sob uncontrollably. In biking language, that's called a bunk. <laughs> and one of the guys forsaking the stupid young male method of counseling, leaned over and said, this happens all the time. <laughs> we'll rest for an hour. And then he gave me a package of goo. G-U. 
Goo is a chocolate paste loaded with carbos and sugar and caffeine, and it's designed to ingest quickly and digest in instantaneously and in to ingest with an explosive burst of energy. When God gave man spirit and man woke up from that creation sleep, God meant for us to ingest praise. He meant for man to look around the world that God had created and say, wow. And the hymnists have written it into beautiful poetry such as praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Ghost. Or bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me bless his holy name. Or to God be the glory, great things he has done. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice and give him the glory, great things he has done. Or as we sang this morning, let everything within me praise. There's praise egestion, but there's pain egestion as well. There's pain that comes from a spirit that's been blistered by words, words that poison, words that destroy, words that mislead, words that attack, words that manipulate, words that abuse, words that ignore, words that curse, a complete diet of junk. I read this letter to Amy Dickinson this week in the Denver Post. What happens to us in the first 18 years of our lives makes up the foundation of our lives. Molested for many months by a close family friend when I was young, I sent all the typical signs to my parents and was punished by them for my behavior. Almost 50 years later, I still carry the weight of this violation with me. I do not believe in forgiveness. I am very distant with my mother, and she has no idea why, as it is a subject that can never be brought up. People say, you're an educated adult, get over it, forget it, but it stays embedded and still painful 50 years later. I still wish I could change this one life incident and see if there's a happy person inside this body instead of one who inhabits it emptily now. Or listen to a comment from a young girl who posted this on the internet. I started cutting myself a few weeks ago. I had no one to talk to and I felt like that was the only way out of the pain I felt inside. One day my mom starts fighting with me and I don't resist it anymore and tell her what I'm doing and she doesn't actually care. I've been through a lot of pain and on my own, but you know what? I've learned to be stronger when nobody actually cares. I've learned to live life by myself, and the funny part is I turned 16 this Sunday, the 15th. The pain of these words is unimaginable. And we're surrounded by this kind of pain. The pain shows itself with every angry man, every lie, every rejection, every moment of domestic violence, every moment of despondency and depression, every shattered marriage, every theft, every binge, every addiction, every fantasy, every act of cruelty, every second of passive withdrawal. 
Someone said, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I've never heard such a pile of nonsense in all my life. Our lives will flourish and flounder by how we handle the words of our lives. We can't find any meaning without words. We can't manage anything without words. We can't measure anything without words. The goals in our lives, our opportunities, our threats, our strengths, our weaknesses, our deepest needs, our dreams and fears can be described with words. Our highest praise and deepest pain will be found in words. God intended us to find him and to know him and worship him with words. They are the words of our lives. And they can take your heart away. Do we know what those words are? Are those words true? Have we responded to them? What do these words produce? Are they useful? Do we know where these words came from? Words are a huge problem, and there's an important principle that goes along with the problem that I just laid out, and the principle is sanctuary. Last year, I was on the 14th hole of the the Keystone Ranch golf course. I was playing with my boy, and within 20 minutes, a thunderstorm of thunderstorm rolled in, and suddenly my son and I found ourselves surrounded with a storm on every ridge with lightning striking four, five, six times a minute. And before I knew it, I was scared out of my life until we spotted a latrine about 200 yards away, and we ran for it. Sitting in the porch of that latrine, suddenly I got a grasp of what the word sanctuary means. What the word safe means. And suddenly when I look at the problem of words, I suddenly begin to appreciate how important the word sanctuary is. And how important it is for me to create a safe time with myself where only safe words are used, where I have a safe person in my life, where only safe words are used, where there's a time with my spouse, where even in the midst of issues, only safe words are used, where there's a commitment in the home that this is a safe place, where only safe words will be used, where we can find safe places, safe people, safe situations. Resources where even the most painful words and images in our life can be cared for safely. Sanctuary is a time and a place where there's no room for unsafe words. And this message came to life as I watched our VBS kids here three weeks ago standing and singing on stage. My two grandkids, aged three and four, were up on stage singing. We sat there in rabid fear as whether one of them was going to take his shirt off. But I watched my boys staring adoringly at their leader. One was imitating the guitarist and the other one had his eyes fixed on the leader as they sang J-E-S-U-S. And there it was, sanctuary, moments of 
safe place, safe people, safe places, safe situations for my boy. We are West Lowell. We are sanctuary. Take a look at this video.
nothing's going to harm you while we're around. We're mops. We're Sunday school classes. We're children's ministry and nursery. We're Sunday night connection. We're youth groups. We're men's ministry. We're women's brunch. We're choir. We're prayer groups. We're potlucks. We're golfers. We're greeters. We're ushers. We're quiet talks with people who care. We're givers of time and money and care. We're Pastor Todd, to whom I wrote after his Father's Day sermon, Thank you, Pastor. I heard what you said, and I did it, and I'm glad. We're sanctuary. And I've got to tell you this morning, I'm burstingly proud of you for being that way. Then a better return on our investment than to be sanctuary in Littleton and Lakewood. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you've created us to respond. And keep us safe so we can respond with praise and we don't have to respond with pain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand as I read a brief paraphrase psalm and then we will be dismissed. One thing we ask, one thing we look for, to dwell in sanctuary all the days of our lives. For in the day of trouble, he will keep us safe. He will hide us in the shelter of his tabernacle and set us high upon a rock. Stay safe this week, West Bowles. Have a sanctuary week.